the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And this is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth Leapson today. It's great to be with all of you, and uh, thank you, Seth, uh, for entrusting me with your audience. And uh, wanted to take the opportunity to cover a number of issues that uh, are near and dear, not only to my heart, but I think should be uh, a part of the conversation nationally. Last hour, we talked about Canada uh, with uh, a couple of my uh, uh, Canadian friends on the ground there, and I, I think we learned a lot about what's happening with the truckers and the convoy and the protests there. What I want to do now is uh, I have to tell you, as much as I I love our athletes and pray for them and uh, know how much of their life is invested in uh, uh, getting to the Olympics and how important this is to our country and our nation, I am also not watching the Olympics. And uh, it it has uh, nothing to do with the caliber of our own athletes. I I think they are heroes and uh, should be celebrated. Uh, But uh, NBC, uh, a a number of other uh, uh, companies and others that have turned a blind eye to China's crimes against humanity and what it has done to the Uyghur population, uh, I think, should be exposed. Uh, The Biden administration uh, has uh, now uh, continued its uh, subservience to uh, uh, China and uh, turned 180 degrees from uh, the hard line on China that the Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and President Trump did in the previous administration. I thought of no one better to bring to talk about this than uh, Salih Hudayir. I'll introduce him to you in a second. Uh, Salih, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, Let me introduce you to uh, uh, the folks here in Arizona. Uh, So uh, Salih is a... Uh, member of uh, the American Uyghur population. Uh, he is uh, an amazing guy who founded the East uh, uh, Turkestan uh, National uh, Awakening Movement. And um, let me, I had your bio here one second. Um, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, uh, Sally, sorry, I lost the, uh, my screen went blank here on, on your bio, but I know you live in Northern Virginia with your family. You've been in the U.S. for 20 years. You served in the Army Reserve. Uh, not only are you an American, you're part of the Uyghur community and uh, now are trying to bring some attention to the crimes that are being done against uh, the Uyghurs and the genocide happening in uh, what is now western China, but you believe should be East Turkmenistan. So tell us a little about yourself, uh, uh, Salih. Yes, uh, thank you again. Uh, as you just briefly explained, I mean, I founded the uh, East Turkmenistan National Waking Movement back in 2017 to uh, strive for, you know, the human and political rights of the uh, Uyghurs and other peoples in East Turkestan. Um, we have been actively uh, pushing for the uh, recognition of um, China's atrocities against the Uyghurs and other Turkish peoples of genocide. Um, and 
thankfully we were able to, you know, finally after years of pressuring and, you know, exposing what the Chinese government was doing, uh, we were able to convince, you know, Secretary Pompeo uh, to designate it as, as a genocide. Uh, and we've been, you know, pushing for the Uyghur Policy Act, which, uh, which uh, you know, uh, was signed into law by President Trump um, back in 2020. Um, and we've been, you know, calling on, you know, we, we have been urging the Biden administration to not just engage in a, a diplomatic boycott, but full boycott of the uh, Beijing genocide games, given the fact that uh, either way, if we, if we, you know, whether, if we just engage in a weak, you know, diplomatic boycott, um, that China is still going to use that to, uh, as part of their propaganda to, you know, uh, deny and whitewash their uh, crimes that they're, you know, committing. So, Lee, so before we – I want to get to the corporate part of it, you know, Tesla opening a a, a, a showroom in that province offensively, um, get to the NBA issue with uh, the, the courageous work Ennis Cantor is doing and get to uh, uh, Amazon, all these other companies, uh, Apple, et cetera. But before we do that, I read a, I read a story of, of – just a, an unbelievably heart-wrenching story about an ind- individual. I'm trying to remember the name, but somebody who had left one of the camps, and she talked about how she was in London and then went back. She thought she was going back just to uh, uh, you know, visit her parents, and then she was taken into the camps for four or five years, and then she got out. She talked about the torture that she endured. And we're not talking about just a few thousand people, you know, not that that would still be egregious, obviously, but we're talking about millions. Can you sort of lay out for us first the personal stories of each of these individuals and then tell us the magnitude of, of what's happening in Western China? Yes, uh, there are actually uh, uh, in recent years like a few uh, that were lucky enough, Uyghurs that were lucky enough, they were able to. Uh, you know, get out of these Turkestan, um, some of them who had, you know, been sent to these concentration camps. Um, you know, in many instances, many of them, for example, uh, one of their husbands was a citizen of another country, you know, not, not a Chinese, uh, you know, not a citizen of, of China. Well, actually, all of them, their, their story was like this, because they were, you know, their husbands were uh, foreign, you know, nationals. That's how they were able to, uh, you know, after pressuring the Chinese government, um, their husbands were pressuring the Chinese government or having their country pressure the Chinese government. That's how they were able to secure the release of their wives. Um, but based on, you know, what their testimonies, you know, whether it's here in the, that they gave here in the United States Congress or other places or even to the media, we know that the Chinese government is, you know, locking up millions of people. According to the U.S. Department of Defense, it's about 3 million people. Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and the Turkish peoples. This was back in 2019, May of 2019. Um, then the Chinese government in uh, September of 2020, they released a uh, white paper, you know, trying to whitewash its um, concentration camps, the so-called vocational training camps. Uh, and they, sta- they stated in the white paper that they sent 1.2 Nine million per year from uh, 2014 to 2019 to quote vocational training, which is uh, the sixth euphemism for concentration camp. So anywhere from you know three million upwards of eight million people have you know been uh, sent to these uh, concentration camps. 
And in these camps, based on the testimonies of what, uh, you know, the concentration camp survivors and, you know, uh, prison guards, we know that people are being subject to forced indoctrination, uh, you know, forced to denounce their ethnic and religious identity and embrace, you know, the Chinese Communist Party as the sole, you know, the highest being out there. So essentially, um, there is no God. Your God is the Chinese Communist Party. This is how they are being forcibly indoctrinated. On top of that, you know, people are, you know, cramped in, you know, you have, you know, upwards of 40, 50 people in one small, you know, cell to where they can't even, you know, uh, lay down or stretch to where they're all crouched up together. Um, they're forcibly medicated, you know, forced, you know, they're, uh, you know, forced sleep deprivation, facing hunger. Uh, many of them, you know, they have had their, you know, DNA samples, voice prints, and that's been collected by the Chinese government. And they're being forcibly medicated, you know, uh, uh, and both men and women. And this is according to testimonies of not just the survivors, but the Chinese uh, police officers who were, you know, sent, you know, from eastern China to East Turkestan to, um, you know, to, quote, fight against terrorism. And they said that, the, you know, they, they you know, the, the few police officers that they testified, they said, you know, uh, we would, you know, rape them, both, like both meaning, you know, both the men and women, subjecting them to, you know, sexual abuse and torture uh, with electrical batons and so forth. Um, and then there are a certain number of people, you know, are being, you know, taken, um, especially the young, healthy Uyghurs are being taken. And their organ, you know, they're being killed for their organs, which is being apparently sold, you know, to wealthy Muslims across the world as, quote, halal organs. Um so these are some of the atrocities that's happening on the ground as we speak. Uh, outside of the camp, you, you still have millions of people who are living in, in like an open prison to where they can't even go, you know, 500 meters without hitting, you know, a checkpoint and getting special permission uh, to where they have, you know, 1.2 million Chinese officials sent into their homes to live with them, to sleep with them to monitor their day-to-day activities and ensure their, quote, loyalty to the Chinese state. Uh, And, you know, women especially are being forcibly sterilized, and hundreds of thousands of women have been forcibly sterilized in just the past few years. And so uh, thank you so much for for laying that out for us. And I think one of the things I wanted to clarify is you're talking about, so how many millions are in the camps so, according to the United States Department of Defense, uh, their report stated from 2019 that there was about three million or pop, or more. And uh, and the Chinese government. And how many? How many? Oh, well, we'll be right back. Uh, give it. We'll keep you to the next segment, and we'll come back to talk more about what's happening in China and the genocide against the Uyghurs. Zudi Jasser for Lennon for Seth. This is Udi Jasser in the chair for Seth Leapson. It's great to be with all of you, and I wanted to take some time to talk to you all about what's happening in China and why many Americans, many uh, people of conscience, have as much as they love sports, as much as as much as they love to honor our athletes, 
will not watch the Olympics because of the corporate subservience to a genocidal regime, which is the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. And we are joined by Salih Hudayr, who was born to a Uyghur business family in Atush, East Turkestan, in what is now Western China. He studied international studies and politics at the University of Oklahoma and was a member of the Army National Guard here in the U.S. from 2011-2013. He's currently pursuing a master's degree in national security studies from the American Military University. And in June 2000, he fled to the United States with his family as political refugees. He's now founded the East Turkestan National Awakening Movement in 2017. And we were talking uh, before the break, Salih, so we're talking about 3 million-plus Uyghurs in concentration camps, and then the rest of the Uyghur population are being monitored. They're being uh, removed of their personhood, of their humanity. Uh, how many? What's the total population of Uyghurs in Western China? So the total population of Uyghurs in itself is very uh, controversial, the Chinese government uh, claims that, you know, it's around 12 million uh, Western, you know, scholars um, and experts who focus on the Uyghurs. They estimate that it's more likely uh, about 20 to 25 million. And Uyghur groups and organizations, we estimate that it's around, you know, uh, 30 million. And the ones that are not in camp. So tell me, what is the pro- – why would they not – do a, a genocide the way the Nazis did uh, and just exterminate them? What's going on there as far as um, the methods that they're using? And, you know, I've heard in Ramadan, for example, they will force them to eat to make sure they're eating lunch and, and, and not fasting. They'll force them to eat pork. They'll rip and soil the Quran in front of them in order to offend their uh, uh, religious uh, mores. So they do a lot of things to torture them, obviously, uh, which violates every standard of humanity known, uh, but still the process is very different. What? Why do you explain for us what that what they're doing to them? Well, uh, number one, uh, getting to your question, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to carry out, you know, uh, mass scale, you know, extermination uh, while the international community is watching. Um, so. They have to do it in a very uh, covert fashion, and this is why, you know, they send people these, to these camps. And many of these people that have been sent to these camps, they're, they're dying in these camps. And the Chinese government, you know, is saying that, oh, they died from tuberculosis or, um, you know, they're dying from disease or, you know, they got sick, etc. And they're not even, you know, giving, returning the bodies to their families. If that is the reason that they died, it is because of, closest or whatever, then return the bodies, but they're not. Um, so that shows, you know, there's something else going on. They, like the Nazis, you know, they actually built a lot of uh, crematoriums across East Turkestan in recent years. And you, you know that Muslims, you know, they, they don't cremate their bodies at all, regardless of how they die. Right. So the fact that this is happening, um, you know, and they're building these near these concentration camps show you that you know, there are deaths taking place, and the Chinese government is, is trying to hide it. Um, outside of that, you know, as, as we mentioned, you know, they're forcibly sterilizing the women. They're forcing 
Uyghur, you know, women to marry Chinese men in a bit to, in an effort to essentially like weed out the Uyghurs in the future. And they have, you know, this is according to the Chinese government themselves. They have taken over 850,000 children from their families to raise them as, quote, loyal Chinese citizens uh, in state-run orphanages and boarding schools. And, you know, these kids are not even allowed to, you know, go back to their family or even contact them or communicate with them in any way. So essentially, uh, the Chinese government is thinking that it can, you know, get away with these crimes, uh, uh, you know, for a while. Um, and, you know, because there hasn't been a whole lot of international uh, backlash, we don't know if they if they are thinking of doing something, you know, like the Nazis did. Um, if, if the international community is weak in their response, that will only embolden the Chinese government to, you know, further carry on these atrocities and maybe even, you know, go on a Holocaust, uh, you know, mode uh, of it. So, you know, I think that thank you for laying that out. That was that was just so articulately and, and well stated about what's happening there. So the next steps, I, I think, as we look at it, let's I want to first talk about corporate America and their complicity. And then I want to talk about American foreign policy. And, and before we get to that, I'm going to end up highlighting a piece in The Wall Street Journal from a couple of days ago by Gabriel Scheinman that said the U.S. should want a Cold War with China. And I could not agree more. Uh, there's a lot as as tough as the Cold War with the Soviet Union was. Uh, Reagan's Peace Through Strength initiative, uh, I think, created a, a climate of competition that was necessary. That ultimately was the way to defeat our greatest enemy globally at the time, without ever having to fight a direct bullet against them. Obviously, there were proxy wars, but never directly. So the, Gabriel makes a, a good argument about that. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But let's first talk about corporate. You know, I think Ennis Cantor, who's a uh, pro NBA basketball a- athlete, a uh, Celtic, has uh, been surprisingly, first of all, has been getting, I think, a, a good amount of attention from Fox and other conservative media outlets uh, that have been giving him a, an ability to express uh, what's been happening, not only to his uh, heterodox community, the Gulenists in, in Turkey and his family and others, but also with his uh, expression of Nike and other companies' complicity when it comes to the crimes against humanity done against the Uyghurs. But yet, you know, as you pointed out uh, a couple days ago, that NBA owner that told him uh, basically nobody cares about the Uyghurs. And uh, um, you had some choice words for for that NBA owner. Um, Where do you think we're going with corporate? Do you think there will ever be a change in Hollywood and celebrities to actually care about this issue, even though we have folks like Ennis uh, making a, a bit of noise, but yet not getting any of the attention that Black Lives Matter and others. Uh, I mean, it almost seems as if Uyghur lives don't matter, but Black lives do. Uh, so, so what is it with celebrities and, and the NBA that makes uh, this such a, a problem for them? Well, I mean, uh, if you even look historically, many of these companies uh, that are currently, you know doing business with the Chinese Communist Party, um, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's, you know, Volkswagen, others, I mean, Volkswagen itself was created by the Nazi, but, um, you know, many of these, you know, even Disney, um, I'm not sure if Disney was there, but like, like P&G, for example, um, they were all, you know, 
involved in the in the Holocaust in certain ways. They were still doing business with the Nazis, and today they're you know doing business with the uh, Chinese communists. Um, I don't think there's going to be any change. Uh, we you know we're grateful for people like Anas Kanter, but there's not going to be any change unless you know there's legislation addressing these issues. For example, you know we have legis- like there's legislations on Holocaust denial, but at the fact uh, you know there's no legislations that prevent you know U.S. companies or Hold that. Entities hold that. Hold that thought, Sadi. We'll be. Sadi, can we keep you one more segment? We'll be right back on Seth Leibson show. This is Udi Jasser filling in for Seth on the Seth Leibson show. We are talking to uh, Saleh Hudayir of the East Turkestan National Awakening Movement. He is uh, an American uh, uh, whose family escaped persecution in as political refugees from China, from what is the Xinjiang region of where the Uyghurs are and where the genocide is taking place. And we are pleased to have him join us to talk about all of the issues related to this. And uh, thank you so much for being with us, Salih. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. So uh, I want to, in this last segment that we're talking about this, I, you know, I want I want to highlight, you know, where do we go from here? You know, so many people, you talk to them about boycotts and, you know, they're like, well, this is all going to continue happening. China's uh, a billion plus people. We're never going to be able to to win this. And, uh, you know, I disagree with that. I, I think ultimately uh, the, one of the worst policy decisions made in American history in the last 50 years plus was the opening policy of uh, Nixon and Kissinger into China as if somehow – economics uh, with the Chinese Communist Party, if they somehow were allowed to invest and co-invest and we became mutually dependent, that that would convert their society and just didn't work. And I think we see this with Iran, that when the sanctions are put in, they start to at least respond to uh, pressure. And without sanctions, they use that money to terrorize the region and terrorize the Middle East and Israel and our other allies. And uh, I think similarly, uh, China will not respond to uh, subservience, but rather to strength. Uh, where do you where do you see this going? Is uh, what what do you say to the people that, that tell you, well, boycotting just hurts our athletes; it doesn't hurt the Chinese government? Well, it, it, I mean, it doesn't just you know, it, I mean, it doesn't really hurt hurt our athletes. I mean, sure, they have been practicing for this event for a long time. But it sends a very strong signal that, you know, uh, at least in the pages of history, you know, we're not going to be on the side of a government that's engaging in genocide. Um, so just from that perspective, it shows that the United States and its people, you know, value human rights. They value, you know, human lives and that, you know, they are morally responsible. Um, now, as you know, the part that, you know, they are right is, you know, small things are not going to necessarily make a huge impact on China. Uh, so what do we need to do in this sense? I mean, we need to be boycotting, for example, just earlier this, uh, I mean, uh, earlier um, this year, in fact, this new year, uh, we had the passage of the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And this would essentially ban all goods that are made from forced labor or slave labor 
of the Uyghurs from coming into the United States. But the weakness about this bill, the weak part is that the Chinese government has worked its you know, way around this, and they're relocating, forcibly transferring Uyghurs out of East Turkestan into Chinese provinces and continuing to use them as forced enslaved labor there. So we need to ensure that, you know, all goods that are made in China are, um, are banned, at least, you know, until these atrocities stop. Uh, furthermore, you know, this will, you know, we need to bring back our companies, you know, um, China, the technology that, you know, we put in China, China is using that against, when I mean we, I mean the United States, is using it against the United States. It's, you know, everything that it's doing is to directly, you know, uh, remove, you know, the U.S. as, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the global, uh, you know, leader of, uh, of the international community. Um, and that's, you know, there that... needs to be mean, go ahead. There needs to be meaningful action. And the last thing I want to say here is governments need to uphold their, you know, commitments to prevent and punish the crime of genocide. And if they're not willing to be able to do that, the least, the very least thing that we can do is call on the international investigation into these crimes that the Chinese government is committing. And we have a case against China at the International Criminal Court. And I think governments need to support this case. And we only have one minute left, uh, if you can, briefly. A lot, of, a lot of folks say, well, okay, you talk about international community. Where are the Muslim nations? Imran Khan just came out recently from Pakistan and basically endorsed the Chinese government actions against the Uyghurs. That's one of the largest Muslim countries in the region, which is Pakistan. So, uh, again, I, I know the obvious answer to this question, but I want I wanted folks to hear it from you. I mean, the, the Muslim world has been, you know, shamelessly silent. They have been effectively bought off by the uh, Chinese, you know, government over the past several, you know, several decades. So they're they're not they're not going to speak out anytime soon. They're not, and they're completely corrupt. They're dictatorships. They are Islamists who uh, use any means possible with their red-green axis, and the red being the Chinese, Venezuelan, uh, communists, or whatever it might be, along with the Islamists, and that's where they are. Salih, thank you so much. God bless you for all your work. May God protect your family and others across uh, from the genocide, and uh, stay, stay with us and be strong. This is Udi Jester. We'll be right back. This is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth Leibson on the Seth Leibson Show. It's great to be with all of you. Uh, we are talking about, we were talking with Salih Hudayir uh, about uh, the Uyghur genocide uh, being perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party, by the Chinese government, and why a Cold War against China would be a good thing, would be good for both of our countries, and ultimately, and in a way similar to the way the Soviet Union was defeated without ever going to war against us. And ultimately, weakness breeds aggression from authoritative nations like Russia and China, and strength breeds defeat if done persistently and for morally appropriate things. Uh, I wanted to have this opportunity to welcome back Raheel Raza. Uh, Raheel is a longtime friend, uh, and she is one of the leading uh, Muslim reformers in our Muslim reform movement and she is uh, the head of the Muslims for a Better Tomorrow, based out of Toronto, and also recently formed the Council of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism. Welcome to the program, Raheel. 
Thank you. Thank you, Zudi. Hey, so, you know, the first hour, Raheel, we were talking, we talked with Dan McGregor, of uh, a former uh, member of the parliament. We then talked to Ezra Levant, who uh, runs Rebel Media, and they really laid out what's going on in your country, in Canada, uh, with these truckers, with the Canadian truckers. And uh, as we sort of circle back to that, before you and I talk about the Uyghurs, I I wanted to sort of put a pin on that conversation with you, meaning, what do I mean by that? I mean, you and I have for decades now, since 9-11, have been trying to awaken Americans to the fact that the Islamist groups use identity politics to divide our community to under the false premise of diversity, snuff out free speech, etc. And now we see all these individuals as a result of the divisions done through the Black Lives Matter movement, through sort of the radicalization of the left in which it is moving folks to realize that People like the Trudeau administration are all about dividing and not really about diversity. Truckers, as Ezra was pointing out to us, are one of the most diverse working communities with uh, folks from the Sikh community, Indian community, uh, uh, from all over the world that are truckers. And they're the ones protesting the Trudeau administration because of how elitist it is. So tell me, don't you think there's a lot we've been saying in your work for Muslim reform that now the left is finally waking up to? You're absolutely right, Sudi. Um, you know, another thing that you and I have both furiously been fighting about is our freedoms. And in Canada, our freedoms have become very fragile. Uh, we're in a very sad situation where these truckers, who I 100% support, um, have been called white supremacists. I mean, the diversity among the truckers has not been acknowledged. And there's so much lies, there is so much propaganda, there's so many conspiracy theories. I mean, this has been called now one of the largest resistance movements, movements, peaceful resistance movements ever. And I can tell you firsthand that if it wasn't for uh, Rebel News and Israel event, we'd never know the true stories. You know, he has his people on the ground actually documenting and taping the stories. And when they are called a fringe minority, uh, I it's not just naive, it is absolute lies. Uh, you know, they are representing Canadians who are fed up of being told what to do. We've heard and, that. You know, We've heard that yes, language before so, about fringe minority, haven't we? Yes. <laughs> and so in the one hand, they say that they're a fringe minority, and yet that they claim the economy of the country has been ruined by them. So which is it? <laughs> and this back and forth, you know, the the propaganda and the lies, it is to confuse ordinary Canadians who don't know what's happened. But Canadians are waking up. Uh, you know, almost 50% of them support the truckers, and that's a huge number. So, uh, you know, if one were to go by the, the, just the mainstream media that we, we talk about, then you think that they were, uh, you know, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and they were uh, white supremacists and they're violent. But the head of the police, the police chief in Ottawa actually said that there was no violence. And then you have these reporters saying, well, do you think there's going to be violence? Do you suspect that there will be violence? So the terminology that is being used to undermine them is absolutely appalling. As a Canadian, as someone who fights for freedoms and, you know, uh, against this kind of totalitarianism, uh, I've lived through it. 
you know, I'm originally from Pakistan and I know what martial law was and I never imagined I'd come so close to the same issue in a free liberal democracy. And and they're calling them... They're calling them fascists. They're, as you said, yes. and they're talking about yes. insurgency. And yet, we had riots all over the country, destroying malls, destroying federal buildings, and they, they wouldn't call that violent. And yet, I haven't seen one picture come out of any media. In fact, I've seen a CNN national security expert. Her name is Juliet Kayam. Call for the slashing of the tires of the truckers and also the defueling and the removal of their yes. fuel to get yes. them. To, so, talk about violence. She wants government to perpetrate violence on them, and that's coming yes. from CNN and other so-called mainstream media. And yet, and, and they have no evidence of that. No. And today they said that they would want to uh, the children put them with social services. I mean, what kind of rhetoric oh is my that? God. What the truckers have shown us is the way to fight in non-violent persistence resistance to totalitarian rules. And I am 100% with them because our country is headed down a very slippery slope if, slope if we allow this to happen. So it's, it's very troubling. And day by day, the uh, movement increases and the, the pushback also increases. There are police officers who have said that they are not going to be part of this. A police officer came on uh, tape and talked about how difficult it has been for him uh, to deal with this. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's very divisive, is what you said. I mean, Trudeau has done nothing but divide people constantly. He uses the word diversity very freely, but he doesn't realize what diversity is. All he has done is divide people, and this is happening once again. And Ezra laid out, I think, brilliantly for us earlier about how the Biden administration may actually be a little smarter about this than Trudeau and that they might try to say that they're friends with truckers, friends with the workers, et cetera, and that they want to find a resolution because we're finding the left here in America now is starting to say, oh, oh, wait a minute, the science is now telling us that we don't have to wear masks, we don't have to vaccinate everybody, that there's natural immunity, things that six months ago would have had us canceled from every commentary possible. Now they're saying, why? Because they're polling it probably, and they're realizing that they're going to get completely destroyed in the November election. So the truckers, what I think is brilliant about it, they made the ante so high that if the Canadian government changes its, its tune through Trudeau, They'll never be able to say, oh, this was our idea. It's clearly because of a reaction to the truckers. Yes, and that is exactly what they don't want. You know, the Canadian government is weak and they are terrified. Uh, That is, they give in somehow that, uh, you know, they'll be the ones who are allowing this to happen. But why not? This is what the masses want. And it's time to remove the sanctions. It's time to let them be free. It's time to, you know, just finish off these 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 masking mandates. I mean, it's happening everywhere else in the world. So why not in Canada? Why do we have to be the last ones to follow suit? Amen. And when we come back in the next segment with Raheel, I want to talk about the Uyghurs, about the Olympics. We love our athletes, and especially these Winter Olympics up in Canada. I'm sure it's sort of the the if if you have any. Olympics you prefer, it's probably the winter ones up there. But at the end of the day, should we be boycotting it? I'm not watching it. The The genocide against the Uyghurs is horrific. And why is Pakistan supporting the Chinese government against them? We'll be right back. This is Zudi Jasser.
This is Zudi Jasser filling in for Seth Leibson on the Seth Leibson Show. It's always an honor to be with all of you in the last few minutes of this hour. We're talking with Raheel Raza. She is the president of the Muslims for Better Tomorrow based in Toronto, Canada, and also recently founded the Council of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism. Uh, she also uh, hails, uh, her family hails originally from Pakistan. We were talking about the Uyghur genocide, the Olympics, and how much we love our athletes and yet, I'm refusing to watch the Olympics. I will not contribute to corporate America that is turning a blind eye to what's happening in Western China or East Turkestan. Uh, tell me, Rahil, what can you know? Many Americans say, "Well, if the Muslim community, the Muslim world, is basically Imran Khan came out and said that the Chinese government was right that the Uyghurs are terrorists. That's what he said. It's just absurd. What what do we tell them?" You know, it's very troubling. Um, I'm not watching the Olympics either, Zudi. And uh, three years ago, actually, I had written an article about the Uyghur genocide, and I call it a genocide. And I had ended it by saying this is an issue where the whole world should rise against China and stop dealing with them until they remedy their human rights situation. And here we have the Olympics, and this was a brilliant opportunity for the Organization of Islamic Conference and the Muslim world to boycott the Olympics to show their support for the Uyghurs. But they never have, and they never will. And then you have people like Imran Khan who are doing business. Uh, you know, I went to Pakistan for a visit uh, three years ago, and I was really surprised by the very, very strong Chinese presence there. Uh, you know, there are now advertising in Chinese. They're teaching Chinese in schools. There are compounds where only the Chinese live. Nothing wrong with that. But nobody is accountable. Nobody is taking accountability to, about what is happening to the Uyghurs, which is horrific from organ transplant to uh, forceful uh, conversions to women being raped. I mean, how does the world sit back and allow this to happen? But we see that it does happen. Amen. And in in the last minute, I would tell people, please follow Raheel, follow Muslim organizations that are about reform, that are honest, that are not duplicitous, as we see many of these international organizations that are Islamists, uh, either Muslim Brotherhood or part of the kleptocratic regimes that want to just make money off of this. And our, our own companies here in the U.S., whether it's Tesla, Nike, Apple, uh, Hollywood, uh, a lot of the folks that I remember the John Senior. Uh, apology, which was the, a horrific video in which he apologized because he called Taiwan its own nation. It was just absurd. So, Raheel, tell people where they can find you and, and, and learn from your important work. Thank you so much, Judy. They can go to www.muslimsfacingtomorrow.org, one word, or they can just Google me, Raheel Raza, at rahilraza.com. That's my website. It has all my work on it, and as we speak, I hope the situation with the Uyghurs will definitely get better. I know you had Sally on your program, and we support his work, and we need to do everything we can to help the, the Uyghurs. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Stay well. Give my best to your family, you. and we'll have you on again when I'm here again. Thanks so much, Raheel. Thanks a lot, Zudi. Take care. Bye. We'll be right back on The Seth Leibson Show. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. We'll be back with Jeff Singer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.